The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. So good morning, Refuge Church. Wow, let's try that again. Good morning, Refuge Church. Thank you, much better. Uh, Glad to have you guys here, and if you're a guest, if you've been here before or this is your first time, welcome. And we hope and pray that you find refuge in Christ this morning. And so we worship, we come here every Sunday, and you know, we leave our burdens out there, and we just want to come light so that we can take in Jesus. And so feel free to leave all the worries that you have behind and just enjoy being in Jesus today. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we will dig into the word. Uh, Jesus, thank you for the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. And just thank you for the freedom that we have to worship you. And I just pray that Your Holy Spirit will overwhelm us with your presence. I pray that your Holy Spirit will convict our heart. Your Holy Spirit will talk to us this morning. And I pray that we won't just be the hearers of your words, but the doers of it. Thank you for this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I really loved all the songs that we sang this morning because the songs really preached uh, my sermon. Uh, You know, in every season of life, you usually have one favorite song that you're always singing about, and for me, it's the goodness of God. And Even when I put my son Isaac at night, like that's a song I'll sing for him to put him down, and You know, just the line, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you have been so, so good. Just every time I think about those words, it doesn't matter what kind of difficulty I'm going in because I know Christ has always been there for me and he will always be there for me. And so I really, really enjoy and love uh, that song because it is so true. God is faithful. He will always be faithful regardless of what I do. Because I'm sinful, I'm going to mess up, but he is the same, he is constant. And so, thank you for those wonderful songs uh, this morning. And so this morning, we'll be continuing with our sermon series, The Kingdom. And our intro has been, you are made to be part of something bigger than yourself. Something bigger than any job or hobby or political party or even your own family. God made you first and foremost to be part of his family and his kingdom. God's kingdom is your ultimate allegiance. When you understand the good news of the kingdom and become a child of God, everything else finds its right place and healthy place in your life. In this sermon series, we invite you to see the kingdom of God and submit yourself completely to the life-giving authority of King Jesus. And so this morning, uh, we will be in Matthew chapter 13. And the title of my sermon this morning is Stories About the Kingdom. And so Matthew 13 tells eight parables 
about the kingdom of God. And it is about 58 verses. And so I figure out since we have two hours, I'm just going to preach all 58 verses. <laughs> I remember growing, growing up back home in Nigeria, there was this elder who, I mean, he loved Jesus but every time he preached, I just dreaded him preaching because, we, yes, we spend hours in church. And I'm thinking, doesn't this guy know people are hungry? I mean, I was only 14, 15, but he, and so I'm not going to punish you guys like that, okay? You guys don't deserve that. Maybe you do. We're all sinners. We deserve anything. But not today, next time, all right? So I'm not going to preach all 58 verses. However, I've chosen to preach from two of the parables, the parable of the sower and the parable of the hidden, uh, hidden treasure and pearl. And so in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 13, Matthew starts with that same day. That same day. Why is this important? Because Jesus had a very long and eventful day, and chapter 13 is a continuation of what was going on in chapter 12. So what was going on in chapter 12? In chapter 12, Jesus and his disciples were accused by break, of breaking the Sabbath by the Pharisees because his disciples got hungry, and they decided to pluck some grains to eat. But the Pharisees didn't like that because you couldn't walk on the Sabbath. You couldn't do anything. You couldn't even drink water on the Sabbath. And so they found offense to that. And Jesus defended himself and said, even, you know, David and some of the high priests, they ate on the Sabbath. They didn't like that. And then Jesus is basically accused of being a demon because he healed a demon-possessed man on the Sabbath. And so they just kept coming at Jesus. Jesus was doing something good, but they wanted to find fault with whatever he was doing. And then Jesus accused them of being sons of Satan. And then they tried to kill Jesus because they didn't like Jesus challenging the authority. And then Jesus goes on further to call that generation an adulterous generation because they had an unrepentant heart. And then as Jesus was still speaking to the crowd, his mom and his brothers came to see him. And Jesus was like, no, only the people who believe in the word of my father are my mother and my brother. I'm like, Jesus, this is your mama you're talking to. It was lucky it wasn't my mom that he's talking to. No. And so it was a long day. It was like Jesus was just irritated. He was done. I mean, he was, he was, they were trying to kill him. They were trying to find offense with everything that he was doing. And so it was a very hectic day. But instead of taking the day off to cool off, or to go someplace quiet to commune with God, or to go to a place where there was no crowd, Jesus decided to leave the house and sat by the lake where a large crowd saw him and gathered around him. And it's like, it was like Jesus was thinking, you know what? I'm not done for the day. I'm ready for these people, so let's go. Bring it on. 
large crowd gathered around Jesus. But this time, instead of his usual way of teaching them, he spoke to them in parables instead. And what is a parable? A parable is an earthly story with heavenly meaning, right? A parable is usually stories about what you are known, you know, you know, things in nature, things we use every day, you know. And so Jesus was using things that they were familiar with to teach a very important lesson. And so what was the first parable that Jesus gave them? And so go to Matthew chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 3 with me. This was the parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred or sixty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Him who has ears, let him hear. When I read this parable, I was very intrigued by the sower. Because I think there is a lesson that we can learn from the sower, and that is his faith and his perseverance. And so what is the sower doing in the story? So as the sower cast his first batch of seeds onto the field, some lurking birds instantly pick them up and consumes them. At a blink of an eye, all hope for any future crop has vanished. Faced with such misfortune, this early in the course of his work, the sower certainly begins to experience some sense of helplessness, especially since there is no remedy to this happening. What are you going to do? Shoot the bird? There are too many of them. doesn't matter what you do. They will still come and find those seeds. But while this misfortune, while this kind of misfortune already will have seemed reason enough to despair and perhaps give up, the sower without doubt and fully aware of the perils of farm work continue his toil. And indeed, the next portion of his seeds fall on seemingly rich soil. They fall on rocky soil. But right away, the seeds spring up and the sowers immediately shown the first fruit of his labor. It's like, ah, maybe he will get something this time. But when the sun fully rises approaching midday, these promising seeds to wither quickly. What for a short moment gave rise to hope for success turned into another failure. One can only imagine how in the face of this repeated fiasco, desolation enters the sower's heart. But perhaps refined by experience, the sower continues his work. He won't give up. This time, however, the seeds fall among thorns. Dear, the rising crop has nothing to expect but a short life as the seeds mature. They are literally strangled 
by the overcrowding of thorns. At this moment of realization that the fate of his seed does not change or improve, but actually worsens, the sower should probably despair at this point. Then again, despite these repeated setbacks in the face of what seems to be an inescapable failure, finally finding himself face to face with the reality that in the end his last remaining seed must fall on good and truly fertile soil, the sower keeps on going. And this time, he got lucky because he planted on rich soil. And what happens? He reaps three times what he sowed. And so he made up for the other crops that he lost earlier. And so when I read this parable, I find nothing wrong with the sower. I admire him because even though he failed three times, he didn't give up. He kept going. And then in verse 10, the disciples came to Jesus and said to him, Why do you speak in parables while all of a sudden you decide to talk in parables? Because in Matthew's account of Jesus, this was the first time that Jesus was actually talking in parable. And so in effect, they were telling Jesus, why are you even talking to these people if you're not even bothering to explain to them what you're telling them? But Jesus gives two answers for the parables. He tells the disciples, he's giving the parables to conceal the truth and the second reason is to reveal the truth. And so the parable was to conceal the truth as the first reason. And the second reason is to reveal the truth. And so why is Jesus concealing the truth? Because the people kept on hearing what they did not understand. And they kept on seeing what they did not perceive. Because they had intentionally closed their eyes and ears to God and refused to understand with their hearts and return to Jesus in order to heal them spiritually. And that was why he was concealing the truth about the kingdom of God to them. That is why he spoke in parables, because Jesus did not even explain the meaning of the parables to the crowd after he gave it. But then the second reason was to reveal the truth. When we choose to believe God's word and trust in his grace, he gives us eyes to see and ears to hear and understand. The disciples believed. They believed that Jesus wasn't just a great prophet. He was a Messiah. And because they believed, God revealed, Jesus revealed the mysteries of the kingdom of God to them. And that is why Jesus only explained this parable to the disciples and not the crowd. Only the disciples got the interpretation of what the parable meant. And so what was the meaning of the parable? What was the meaning of the parable? Jesus explained this in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 18. He says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. 
When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the words of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth chokes it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. That is the meaning of the parable given to the disciples. And so Jesus doesn't identify who the sower is in this parable. But in the previous parable, the parable of the wheat and tars, he says the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And we know the son of man is a title that Jesus holds. And so Jesus is the sower. Jesus is the sower who never relents. He keeps planting until he finds good soil. The seed is the word of God. Thus, Jesus sows the word of the kingdom, the good news of entrance into the kingdom by grace and true faith, and the soil is us. The soil is how we respond about the news of the kingdom. And Jesus talks about four kinds of hearers. The first hearer, which we'll have on the screen from Matthew 13, is the unresponsive hearer. In verse 19, these people hear the word of God and do not understand it. The devil comes and snatches away what has been sown in your heart. This is the one whom seed was sown beside the road. And so what is the unresponsive hearer like? The unresponsive hearer does not understand the word, not because of any deficiency in the message, but because of his own callousness. He is a person often referred in the Old Testament as stiff-necked because he is unconcerned with the things of God, completely indifferent to anything spiritual. The word makes no penetration into his heart. He does not give the gospel the least consideration, thinking it is foolishness. This is the person or the people that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, when Paul said the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. This is the unresponsive hearer. And because the word of God makes no penetration into his heart, the seed of God is fully exposed to the enemy. Satan comes anytime he wants and snatches away what was sown in this person's heart. His lack of repentance or any sense of guilt and shame insulates him from any kind of help from God and leaves that person utterly exposed to the attack of the enemy. His heart has never been softened. 
by remorse, never broken up by the conviction of sin, and never cultivated by the smallest desire for anything good, pure, or holy. This person is the fool who hates wisdom and instruction from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, and who says there is no God. This person is self-sufficient, self-satisfied, self-righteous, and such a person the gospel has no effect on because it is veiled to determine unbelievers in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus who is the image of God. This person has no desire to be close to God. This is the unresponsive hearer. And then the second hearer that Jesus talks about is the superficial hearer. This is the seed sown on the rocky soil. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. By his quick response to the gospel, it seems like this person has been waiting eagerly to hear the gospel. In contrast to the person with the hardened, unresponsive heart, this man offers no resistance at all, but rather manifests emotional excitement in his response of the gospel. The superficial converts accept the message of salvation with open arms and is overjoyed by the story of the gospel. But here is the problem. Because the soil of his heart is shallow, he has no firm roots in himself. The gospel prompts an immediate positive reaction, but it is only temporary. When this person hears the gospel, it brings a religious experience, but it does not bring salvation. Evidenced by the fact that when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, because of the gospel, immediately this person falls away. The gospel truth has not penetrated his heart, but only the edge of his mind. And it is therefore as immediately renounced as it was immediately received. It is therefore immediately renounced as it is immediately received. This person has come to Christ for what he thought he would get in the way of personal benefit. But when confronted with the high cost of salvation and following Jesus, he will not pay the price. He has built his religious house on the sand of emotional experience. And when the storms of affliction and persecution beat on his house, it crumbles and washes away. So this person is only a believer for a short time. Because when persecution comes, this person really shows what kind of a Christian he is. This is the superficial hearer. And then the third kind of hearer that Jesus talks about is the worldly hearer. The third patch of soil is infested with thorns and represents the man who hears the word but who is too worldly for it to take root and grow in his heart. 
This person hears the gospel and may make a profession of faith, but his first love is for the things of the world. His worry about or preoccupation with those things blinds him to the, to the importance of the gospel or anything else spiritual and eternal. He loves riches and lives as if they are answers to all his needs and desires. He is oblivious to their deceitfulness, to their inability to satisfy the hearts or bring lasting happiness. He does not notice his deceiving worldliness chokes the word of the gospel because his intention is on his riches, his possessions, his prestige, his power, and other worldly things. He is like the rich fool in Luke chapter uh, 12, verse 16 to 21, who had an abundant harvest, and after the harvest, he decided to build bigger silos, and he told himself, I have enough to eat. I have plenty of grain for many years, and so I will take life easy. I will sit, drink, and be merry. But what did Jesus say to that fool? This very night, your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Because possession doesn't give us eternal life. The things we pursue here on earth cannot grant us entire life. This is the third kind of person. Hearer. And then the last hearer that Jesus talks about is the receptive hearer. The last seed falls on good soil. It is not good because it has a different basic composition from the other soil, but because it is rightly prepared. Because his heart is prepared by the Spirit and receptive to the Word of God. That is what makes it good soil. This person hears the words and understands it. Before salvation, the person who received Jesus Christ has the same basic nature as those who reject him. We all have the same opportunities to accept Jesus, and so is this person. And he is not necessarily any less sinful or perceptive than they are. But a person who is saved might have left a life of debauchery a life of wickedness, a sinful life. But when they heard the gospel, they soon realized their need for a Savior. The only barrier to salvation is unbelief, and anyone who is willing to accept Jesus Christ on his term is good soil. He hears the word of the gospel because God honors his humility and opens his spiritual ears, and he understands the gospel because God honors his faith and opens his spiritual mind and heart. And Jesus told of this kind of hearer in order to encourage his disciples and all other believers who will witness in his name us. Despite the hardness, the shallowness, and the worldliness of the most human hearts, there are always those who are good soil in which the gospel can take root and flourish. God has his ships everywhere, and they're just waiting to hear. 
The psalmist rejoiced at the believer who delights in the word of God and meditate on his word day and night is like a tree firmly planted by stream of water which yields its fruits in season and its leaf does not wither and whatever he does, he prospers. This is the good soil. And then at the end, Jesus said, let him who has ears let him hear. Let him who has ears, let him hear. So what kind of a hearer are you this morning? What kind of a hearer are you this morning? And what does Jesus want us to hear from the parable? How should we respond to the parable? It is obvious that Jesus want us to be receptive hearers. And he has made a way for that. He died on the cross for our sins. All we have to do is receive his gift, put our trust in him, and honor him with our lives. But also, he tells another parable of how we can live our lives like the topsoil that he wants us to be. And that is the parable of the pearl. And so in Matthew chapter 13, verse uh, 45, Jesus said, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls, 46. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and brought it. I'm going to read that again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had. That is how we respond to the parable of the sower. And so the parable of the, of the pearl ends with the merchant left owing nothing but the pearl. He found a pearl and he sold everything he had just to purchase that pearl. He has nothing left with which to make a living or support his family. What seems to be a happy ending is actually a no-win situation. Therefore, the parable characterizes the merchant as a fool in a sense that the term fool has in the Jewish religion uh, tradition, which is the essence of wisdom is living with the long run in mind. But a fool is someone whose short-sightedness and immature judgment makes him vulnerable to disaster that the wise know how to avoid. The fool only thinks short-term, and that is why the merchant sold everything he had to buy the pearl. From this perspective, the parable is about Jesus because Jesus sees himself and his followers as the merchant. Like the merchant, Jesus has one single campaign in mind, which is to teach about the kingdom of God. And driven by this passion, he campaigned for the kingdom of God as if there is no tomorrow. This made him and his followers vulnerable. It made them fools. 
but not in the kingdom. Because the kingdom blinds people by its beauty and goodness. It is because of the kingdom that they are willing to be foolish and unwilling to envision a future for themselves in which they are not committed to the kingdom. They cannot respond otherwise. And so, like the merchant, we must be willing to give up everything, everything for the kingdom in order to inherit the kingdom. That is how we respond. We hear the message. We believe it. We let it take root in our life. And we give up everything in our lives that will hinder us from living in that kingdom. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, what are things that we have to give up in our lives in order to receive the kingdom fully? Is the kingdom of God worth it? And the answer is yes. Even in Jesus' time, Jesus introduced a kingdom that was different from the Roman kingdom. The Roman kingdom was a brutal kingdom. A kingdom where children and poor people and the marginalized had no place in society. And then Jesus comes and offers a new kingdom in which everyone was included, everyone was respected, everyone was loved. In our kingdom today, what do we see? Wars, hungers, sinfulness. We devise all kinds of evil. But then we still have the kingdom of God, which he left with us. A kingdom that is so much better. And so are you willing to give up everything for that kingdom? And what is hindering us from giving up those things for Christ's kingdom? If Jesus can give up everything for us, I mean, he emptied himself. He took up the likeness of man so that he can dwell with us and introduce the kingdom of God for us. Jesus has done it all, and all to him we owe, and all we have to do is respond in kind. We believe, we accept, and we give up anything that will hinder us from entering into that kingdom. And so as we take communion this morning, just want you to meditate on what we heard. Is Jesus enough? Is he everything to you? Jesus doesn't want to be the number one thing in your life. He wants to be all of it because he made you everything. You are everything to him. So meditate on that as we eat communion this morning. And I just want to encourage you guys, and I need this message as much as you guys need it. It's like I have to examine my heart when I take communion this morning because he gave up everything to come and die for my sins. And then he said, when you eat this bread, remember the body that will be broken for you. And when you drink this wine, remember the blood 
that I spilled for you on the cross for your sins. And so think about that this morning. Think about that. And we'll have people on the side praying. If anyone needs prayers, if you are new here and you've never put your trust in Jesus, this will be a great time to you. There is nothing better than putting your faith in Jesus. It will be the best decision that you have made. And thank God for the Holy Spirit because He is there to enable us to live the life that Jesus wants us to live. And so you just have to put your trust in Him. And so believe, accept, and live it all for Jesus. So I'm going to pray as we eat uh, communion uh, this morning. Jesus, thank you for your word. And just thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you that you are constantly pursuing us. Even when we resist you, you never give up. Thank you for that. Thank you for your kingdom that is made available for all who want it. Thank you that you died for everyone. And grace is a gift for all. And I just want to pray for anyone here who hasn't put their faith in Jesus. Jesus, I pray that your spirit will convict their heart this morning, that they will see a need for you and put their trust in you. And I pray for us who have put our trust in you, but struggle in our work with you, struggle with our possessions or things that hold us back from fully following you, Lord. I just pray that you open up our eyes to the beauty of your kingdom so that we will give up those things that hinders us from completely following you. Thank you for this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.